Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had our husbands there crewing for us. We also had a friend, um, a friend of ours who was is a filmmaker and was interested in filming our journey. He's like, had never heard of, or maybe he had heard of Ultras, I don't remember. Um, so he was along kind of, so we have this amazing like little short film of our first hundred. So we can go back and watch and laugh at many, many places. <laughs> For some reason I decided to brush my teeth. Popping their blister. Yeah, <laughs> you can see me popping blisters. At one point I thought it was a really good idea that I needed to brush my teeth and there's like, this long shot of me, it looks like must have been like 30 seconds to a minute of just like, you know, sitting in a chair at an aid station brushing my teeth. Um, well, it, you know, it, what, what's funny about that is that um, to the unaccustomed, to someone who's never done ultras, uh, that would seem somewhat unusual to brush your teeth uh, during a race. But the truth is that that is also not a terribly unique or novel thing. Yeah, right. Um, and right, and and anything um, that helps to flip the switch psychologically um, uh, can be can be a huge uh, boost. I'll also say too that drinking that much tailwind at some point, yeah, um, you're. Yeah. At least, at least my experience—not necessarily with Tailwind, but with with super sweet or sweet uh, sport performance drinks—is when you've been drinking those for you know six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve hours. At at some point, like my teeth started to hurt. Oh uh, yeah, just from drinking the sports drinks, right? So the opportunity to sort of cleanse your mouth—that actually exactly. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that was it. As my as one of my friends would say in college, this is more related to a hangover than ultra running. But all my teeth are wearing little socks. <laughs> <laughs> Every ultra runner just shipped. Yeah. Out. Yes. <laughs> hey there, podcast listener. This is your first time here. Welcome to the Eat Half Walkable Podcast, coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in beautiful Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, thank you very much and welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as an exercise physiologist, coach, race director, and athlete told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Valeria Brady and Mindy Slavinsky are my guests this week. Better known within the main trail running community as Scout and Squirrel, this dynamic duo direct Maine's only 100-mile trail race, the Riverlands 100. Held each May in the beautiful Androscoggin State Park in Turner, this ultra's charm is matched only by its deceptive difficulty. But don't take my word for it. Val and Mindy break down what makes this race special and especially challenging. Well, here they are, Valeria Brady and Mindy Slavinsky. Valerie and Mindy, welcome to the Eat Half Walk Double Podcast. Thank you. How are you both? We are in, yeah, race mode. <laughs> um, well, we'll uh, we're going to talk about about that. Um, uh, 
because you guys are are, are getting ready to uh, to host a, a pretty significant event here coming up soon, um, and we'll get into we'll get into all of that. But before we do that, uh, I, I wanna I wanna open with this. Um, so I had a nickname in college, but it um, but it wasn't nearly as cool as Scout or Squirrel. <laughs> okay, um, those are trail names. I take it. Um, and, and I also, uh, I also suspect that there probably are a couple of interesting stories that go along with those trail names. Uh, do each of you care to tell your own trail name story? I don't think they're as interesting as you think, but we really like just being scout and squirrel. Cause we talk about S and S all the time. We we're S and S. Um, well, <laughs> Mindy, tell, tell how you got Squirrel. Well, Squirrel, yeah. So I, back in the days of blogging, when everyone wrote blogs, which I miss, um, I had a blog called Five Squirrels. And um, I would write about, um, you know, running. And it was kind of all by myself. And then I, as I came into the group and we were all sort of like reading each other's blogs, um, Somebody saw me and they're like, "Oh, you're the squirrel lady. Like, you're the squirrel." <laughs> and that just stuck. And, tiny, so. <laughs> <laughs> and I think okay. I gave Val her her trail name. We were out there, and uh, I'm like, "There's only it's there's only one trail name for her. It's Scout because you could parachute her into Bradbury Mountain State Park." and ask her where she is and she would give tell you where she is draw a map give directions um yeah it fits yeah um now valerie does that have does that have anything to do that that ability uh to know where you are and to be able to navigate through the world does that have anything to do with your analytical uh brain and your profession i think it does i i have really good spatial awareness and um it amazes it amazes me. Um, we won't say who, but people who don't have. So we're a good match. We fill in each other's holes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so the the logical question, of course, uh, Valerie, is: uh, Have you ever gotten lost during a race? During a race? No, <laughs> I've gotten lost, but never during a race. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mindy, same question. Have you ever found yourself off course uh, in a race? Well, since we, since most of the time we um, did all of our races together, uh, then I, I have a scout to follow. <laughs> but I did st step off the trail one time to pee in the middle of the night in an ultra and got totally lost and had to call <laughs> for my pacer and like, show me your headlamp. <laughs> got totally turned around. <laughs> well, there's there's nothing worse in an ultra. Um, than to be temporarily unfound uh, and uh, at that point not wanting to take any additional extra steps, right? You are exactly um, right, yeah. It's not, you know, it's not like it's a, a 5K or a 10K or a 10-mile race. If you get a little bit off course, not that big of a deal. But in an ultra, every step counts. Um, and the last thing you want to do is to, is to start going in the wrong direction. Exactly. Um, exactly. I'm also going to stick it in, even though we'll be talking about Riverlands and we have a philosophy of course marking. And if you're on the single track, you can always see a flag from where you are. 
and they're all reflective. So it's really hard to have that um, happen to you on our course. Well, um, I can I can appreciate that, of course, uh, as a race director myself and uh, and someone who has marked uh, courses before. That said, uh, we all know as race directors that um, we could put out a thousand more flags than we put out and inevitably somebody is going to get themselves off course. And yes. almost always it's, it's for a few very basic reasons. Uh, one is that they didn't listen to the pre-race instructions because they were chit-chatting with their buddy and just figured, um, you know, I course i know what i'm doing i've done this before i'm whatever the race directors are going to tell me is probably not all that significant <laughs> and or um they are following uh someone who also didn't listen to the pre-race instructions and have gotten themselves off course i mean i, I i'm sure you two would agree that uh in trail uh racing in in particular much more so than road racing uh, you have to be navigating. You have to be paying attention to course markings um, because trails twist and turn and sometimes they become a little bit uh, non-distinct. Uh, oftentimes there are trail junctions and all of these things, of course, we, you know, we're, we're sensitive to as race directors and we really want to, we want to oftentimes overmark because the last thing we want is to people to get off course. Um, but don't don't you find that those are the most common reasons why people get off course? They're not listening to the pre-race instructions and or they followed somebody else that got off course? Yes. Uh, and last year we had someone whose headlamp fell on them and they didn't have a backup. And so then they just bushwhacked to where they saw light. <laughs> but they went back and finished the, the course properly. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, 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 I do uh, want to talk much, much more about Riverlands because I think that there are um, there are a lot of interesting and unique things uh, to talk about as it relates to to, uh, to a hundred mile race. Um, but let's do this for for the listener who doesn't know uh, uh, the two of you. Uh, why don't you introduce yourselves? Um, you know who you are, where you where you're from, what you do professionally. Valerie, why don't you go first? Okay, so I'm Valerie Abrady. Um, I was born in Western Massachusetts. Went to school in New Jersey for. Um, uh, mechanical engineering. I came to running because where I went to college didn't have sports for women and I played sports all through high school. And so I took up running just to stay in shape and keep my mind sane. And when I moved to Maine, I, um, our house is in a place where there's a hundred miles, a hundred acres around us. And so my dog could um, be with me while I ran. I started running the fields and woods. And I loved it. Mindy, what about um, you? And then professionally, I, I, I worked as an engineer, but I'm since retired, thankfully, for um, race directing. Good, <laughs> good for good for you. Um, Mindy, what about you? Uh, Mindy Slavinsky. Um, grew up in Pennsylvania, rural Pennsylvania. Um, not athletic at all. I think uh, I was telling somebody that uh, I was the kid that, they, everyone had to wait for it to swim, finish like the last lap of swimming at the swim meets when everyone else had was done. Um, but um, professionally, I'm a psychotherapist in my, I have an own, my own private practice and, um, and running wise, I, it was sort of a long, I started in college again, just somebody else was running and I kind of started doing it, found my way through the years to trails and ultras and, and scout and squirrel. Uh, and scout and squirrel. 
Um, yeah. And I, 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 I always find it interesting. The, uh, the stories of how people um, get to the ultra distance, um, whether it's ultra, ultra distance running or ultra distance cycling. And I'm, I'm going to ask you about that too, in just a moment. Um, so the, the three of us know each other, or I should say, I know the two of you um, uh, because of your running club trail monster running. Um, I don't know exactly uh, when we met, but I suspect that it was it was either related to the snowshoe series uh, that, that was held at uh, and, and still is held actually at, at uh, well, at least there's one snowshoe race now. But there <laughs> used to be a, a series of snowshoe races at Bradbury State Park. Uh, and there are still a series of, uh, or there is a series of trail races at Bradbury State Park. Uh, and so I don't know exactly whether it was uh, through uh, snowshoe racing or trail racing, um, but I came to know uh, the two of you. Uh, and, uh, and so we've, uh, you know, we've, we have crossed paths um, many times over the last 10 years or so. Uh, I mean, is that, is that your recollection of how, of how we came to know who uh, came to know each other? I think Mindy um, may have nailed it. I, I think we, we kind of knew of you first because of acidotic racing and the little bit of competition between trail monsters and acidotic. But Mindy said she thought it was at Pineland Farms where your tent was set up next to the, our team tent. Right, Min? Yeah. So th th I think that's just one of the places. I don't know. I, I'm sure it's not the first time, but like I do remember being like having neighboring team tents and just like having good conversations about trails and running and racing and all that stuff. Yeah, I geez, I really appreciate you uh, you guys bringing that up. I had uh, well, I mean, I hadn't really forgotten about uh, Pineland Farms, but I had I had specifically forgotten about that interaction. Um, uh, I had I think I had done the twenty five k twice. I, I, I never went any further than the 25K at Pineland Farms. And quite honestly, uh, 25 kilometers at Pineland Farms at that time of year and on that course um, is, is enough of a challenge for just about mm -hmm. anybody, as I'm sure <laughs> you all, you, you both can appreciate. Um, and that's right. We, uh, we, the acidotic racing did set their tent up um, uh, next to the trail monster tent. Um, those were, those are some good times. I, you guys obviously went longer uh, than 25 kilometers at Pineland Farms. What's the what's the what's the longest distance uh, that either of you or each of you did at Pineland Farms? Well, I started there when the longest distance they could do was the 50K. And that's what was my first 50K. So I did that the first few years that that was the longest. And then when they went up to the 50 miler, I went up to the 50 miler. And I think I did far too many of them. <laughs> I, I, got, I was done. I was done with every one of their miles. It took me a long time to even want to run there again. And totally. Mindy paced me for yeah. one of them or two one of them. Of the one or two of the 50 milers. I had done the 25K about twice, I think. And um, I think so at that point, he has a training run before. Oh, that's right. We did. Yeah, yeah, we did. And I think the first my my first kind of interaction with trail running was Pineland. Mm. Um, seeing people um, pacing, doing the 25K myself, I think, was my first trail run ever. Interesting. Trail race ever. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, interesting. Um, and that event was, um, as I recall, was was really well attended by Trail Monster running at that mm -hmm. time. 
right? Um, right. Well, it was Ian. Ian was involved with Eric and starting it, so I that's think right. it was natural for us to be there. That's right. Good. That's a really that's a really good point. Um, did he, did either of you volunteer uh, during uh, at at that race at any point? I, I'm yeah. I think I've done. Um, a bunch of different jobs or setups or things. Um, just like... race we both haven't volunteered. Yeah. <laughs> well, well that, not that that was a trail monster race, but they were, they um, were involved in getting it going. So. True for sure. Um, and of course it, it, it's an important ethos of trail monster running um, that members are involved uh, in, uh, in, in volunteering uh, specifically yes. at, uh, at trail monster uh, running events, which I always, uh, I always admired about about that uh, and about your and about your 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 group and in your community, um, and and friendly rival I think is I think is that's that's aptly I think it's that's, safe to say that's aptly put yep ap aptly aptly put um, I, we honestly I was just happy that somebody else was hosting trail races other than me because you know as as, tra as, as race directors oftentimes we, we don't get the opportunity to race our own our own races and so uh, anytime I could sneak away and, and do a trail race uh, rather than uh, hosting a trail race uh, it was always uh, greatly appreciated and I I have met um, and am friends with a, a number of, of trail monsters uh, even to this day um, mm -hmm. actually. Uh, okay, so um, why don't you tell the story of how the two of you met? So we talked about how I uh, came to know the two of you, but how did the two of you meet? I can uh, I can start. Um, I, I love this story because I act like rare. Sometimes you don't remember when you met. Like we were just saying, Chris. Like we kind of don't remember the first time that we met you. And thanks to blogging, I, I actually have this old ancient record of like my first run with with Val, which is so cool. And I remember um, it was 2000, it was January 2009. And um, Ian Carlin, who's uh, started Trail Monster Running, his wife, Emma, I, I don't remember how this conversation started, but they're like, we're going to go up to Lewiston and we're going to run with um, with this woman, Valerie. And she's done some of our races and her son has done some of our races. Um, and uh, do you want to come with us? And it was like negative 17 degrees out. So this is no, early I on. She's not exaggerating. No, no kidding. Physical temperature. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we drove up. I remember Ian's car like didn't have heat. It had like a little bit of heat, but not. I was sitting in the back like freezing. But I don't think the heat went to the back. And um we drove up to Thorncrag Bird Sanctuary uh, where we were gonna run. And um, you can tell this is early in my career because now um, I can hardly get myself out of the house in like below freezing temperatures to go to the grocery store. Yeah. So I was I was willing at this point. And, um, and so we ran, I think we ran like all over the trails. I had no idea where I was. I was just following, we had a great time. And, and uh, after that, we just kind of kept linking up to run together more and more and more. Um, and I was in the process of like kind of quitting a job and going back to school. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And uh, we called it the summer of awesomeness because like kind of neither of us were working or really had like major obligations. So we ran in Bradbury all day or wherever. Yeah. So um, how um, yeah. how close did you live together? What 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 was your what was your proximity in terms of how close you lived or how far Not did very. you live apart? Not very, yeah. Uh, 
what, 50 minutes? Oh. Um, so little, I'm in Southern Maine. Yeah. in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. So that's, that's where you would meet up is you would, yeah. you would oftentimes you would meet up uh, and run the trails at Bradbury State Park. Yep. There's no pictures of our first run together because every battery died, you know, and it was, it was back when there was only flip phones, but we had the best snot sickles and everything sickles on us. Was now, was that, was that a snowshoe run or was that a, a micro spike yeah. run? No, I, I try oh, not yeah. to run in snowshoes ever. So, so, <laughs> but okay. it was, it was through snow. I don't think the trails were very well packed. Got it. Got yeah. It. Got it. Yeah. Um, and then Mindy, and then then so in the summer of awesomeness, um, she ran her first ultra distance when we did. So there's the, you know, may know of um, Brad uh, Trail Monsters Dirt series. So it, there's the Scuffle, which is six miles, the Breaker, which is nine miles, and then it ends with the Bruiser, which is twelve. And if you do all three in the series, you get a badass hoodie. I think that's why people do the races now. <laughs> but. Um, but so Mindy and I time at the races. So there is this other feature that if you do all three in one day, you can earn the hoodie. So that was Mindy's first ultra. I was doing what we call the Axpa, the ultra extreme badass race. <laughs> and then she did her 40 for 40. That same, was that the same year or the Oh following? man, that was uh, two years later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then that so, was the springboard to ultras for her. Yeah. So, well, that's, that, that's a, that's a good segue because I wanted to ask each of you about your trail running cred, right. In the, in the ultra <laughs> running space. Uh, so Mindy, you, uh, or Mindy and, and Valerie, you told the story of, of Mindy's first ultra. That was the summer of awesomeness, 2009. Right? <laughs> um, but, but Valerie, what, what about you? When, when did you, how did you get into ultra distance racing? What was the, what was the inspiration? What did you know about it at the time? Uh, and, uh, you know, where did you do your first, your first ultra? What's, what's that story? So I was running trails, but still doing road running, which I will say I don't do hardly any. The only time I will run a road now is if I would damage the trail because it's springtime. Otherwise I'm, I'm running a trail, but, um, so I trained, I had done a few marathons and I was training for the um, main marathon and I finished and my IT band acted up and like, I don't remember what mile, but I finished, but I did not like the time that I finished in. And I finished a marathon in tears because of my time. And then I was so mad at myself for caring about my time. And I said, I'm never running a marathon again. And a week later, I tell my husband, I'm going to do 50k and he's like that doesn't make sense and I was like because then I won't care about my time I just want to finish because back then a 50k seemed like crazy distance you know and so my first one was Pinelands back when that was their far, their their longest race and you finished that yes. first 50k yeah, I did pretty I think I was second um in my age group okay um used to be fast <laughs> When, when you finished Pineland, uh, how soon after finishing did you decide that you were going to do that again? Maybe not Pineland necessarily. Or how uh, and when did you decide right that you were going to continue to ultra run? Uh, pretty much right away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I knew it. <laughs> um, 
And Mindy, what about what about what about you? I mean, were you were you were you hooked uh, initially? Uh, I mean, did you did you have aspirations to go beyond? The, obviously, you had aspirations to go beyond a forty mile distance, <laughs> but did you have aspirations to go beyond that initial ultra distance right away, or how did it evolve for you? Yeah, I had done road marathons as well, um, and kept getting injured. I had you know I did triathlons for a short amount of time and. Um, and so I switched over to trails cause I thought it would just be kinder, you know, it was also after, I do love telling the story is after Pineland, um, also I was feeling like, you know, the competition of sort of no offense, the, the road running world and the triathlon world was pretty intense. And again, sort of like Val, I was like way too concerned with times. It wasn't fun. Um, I came to Pineland before I knew who was later to be a very, very good friend whose trail name is Jedi. And I, I remember walking into the field, that big field, and I saw this guy run around. He was like kind of cruising around before you go like in between uh, loops. He stopped. He talked to somebody. I'm already like, oh, my God, you can stop in a race. <laughs> he stopped. They handed him a beer. He had a couple sips of beer. He's like chatted a little bit more. They look like and he kept going on his way. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I want to be George part Alexian, of this. George Alexian. George um, Alexian, who also sort of probably talked us into running our first 100 mile race too. Well, you, so Mindy was already sold on the 100 distance. I was like, <laughs> 50's fine. I, I, I like 50, 50's good. And we did, Mindy did her first 100, uh, 50 in um, um, Vermont, Peaks 50. And it was, it was like over 15,000 feet of elevation. It was an intense, and we loved it. But I was still not sold on the distance till I paced Jedi in um, Vermont 100 and he had been injured and was still powering through. He had like this neck thing. He could, he was going into spasm and still powering through. And so we were at the back of the pack and I was seeing all these amazing stories and the camaraderie of the people. I was like, I want that. <laughs> and I said to me, okay, I, I'm ready. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many, uh, how many times that I have heard a similar story that is um, an ultra runner's inspiration to go to the hundred mile distance, oftentimes associated with pacing or volunteering at a hundred mile race. Um, not that it never happens that an individual's first experience at the hundred mile distance is when they are actually racing it for the first time. But it seems to me that it's more common uh, uh, than it's not um, that uh, ultra runners, are pacing friends, or they are volunteering uh, at these at these hundred mile races, uh, and 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 Val, your 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 point is 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 really well made, and that is that um, it, truth is that everyone there has a story, right? Uh, I mean, the, the the people that finish in the top ten and the people that finish in in, in the bottom ten, they all have a story. Um, and, uh, and, and everyone is, 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 is working as hard as they can possibly work to get to that, that finish line. Um, Mindy, had you volunteered or, or paced mm -hmm. or crewed someone at a hundred before you attempted the hundred mile distance? I had, I had crewed a bunch of times. Um, and to that point, like I, I, I think we'll probably talk about this later when we talk more about Riverlands, but, um, 
I think that's a huge component of, of um, not just the service part, but just sort of the mental part. I, I accrued uh, for Ian and Emma and another friend, Jeremy. They were running the 100 Mile Wilderness. And um, that was sort of my first experience um, kind of doing like an all night sort of sort of thing. And I remember sort of sending them off on their way, getting them, you know, getting through like the late stations we set up. And many, 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 many hours later, it's dark. And I kept thinking, they're still running. They're still running. Like every time I was relaxing or zoned out, I was like, they're still running right now. And then we would see their little lights come down the mountain, like back into, you know, the, the aid station. And it was amazing. And I think I really feel like people should. Um, it would be awesome to to see the other side first. And both Val and I did either crewing or pacing. Um, or and I think, it, or volunteering, yes. Um, yeah. And then to see the, um, you know, I think there's a, there's something about that because um, I think we see not to jump too much ahead, but I think not anyone in particular I wouldn't name, but like I think there's a, a flavor of ultras being so popular now that people kind of jump in and sign up um, without some of that experience, and I think they have a different experience than uh, than otherwise. So I'll just I not want to overgeneralize, but I would just kind of toss that out there. There is a phrase that probably shouldn't be, but it is the, the hundred is the new 50. The hundred's a hundred. Uh, <laughs> respect it. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you, you, you both know that the history and the evolution of ultra distance racing. Um, and uh, now with uh, events that are um, oftentimes well beyond the hundred mile distance, um, uh, it could seem to diminish the hundred mile distance, <laughs> but in no way, shape, or form uh, is is that distance ever uh, diminished in 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 my mind. No. Um, although there are, you know, there's always something else out there for people to chase, right? Um, it, it's uh, true, but but you you may not want the hundred to be your first trail um, trail race. You may not. <laughs> well, f f for sure, um, uh, for sure, that's true. Um, uh, and, and you, you probably also, uh, shouldn't, uh, tackle the hundred mile distance for your first attempt at an ultra, which is what I attempted to do at the Vermont 100 many years ago. And that, that, that did not end well. I also had not either volunteered or crewed at a, at the hundred mile distance. Um, in fact, I had never even been to a hundred mile race. Uh, I'd never been to an ultra period. Um, so my first experience uh, was at the Vermont 100, and um, and that resulted in a did not finish. But that's not what we're here to discuss. <laughs> but 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 everything that you said, I I I, 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 I completely agree with with re with regard to uh, to volunteering and crewing, immersing yourself in the experience in the community of ultra distance running, um, because I you know I I think you would both agree that there is a there's an infectious vibe about it that really you only kind of get if you're actually there. And, 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 and probably, you probably get more of the vibe if you are crewing or volunteering or pacing than you do if you're actually racing. Because we all know <laughs> that once you start racing it, you just get, you get really deep, deeply immersed in, in the experience and it's hard to don't you think it's hard to feel the vibe when you're actually mm -hmm. in the race experience versus crewing or volunteering? I, 
think you 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 kind of hit it. You, you you're getting the vibe in a different way. Um, you're, you're kind of like a needy little baby, <laughs> uh, and so you're just uh, it's about you. Whereas for 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 most people, I mean, like if you're volunteering or crewing or whatever, it's about more than yourself in the bigger picture. Yeah, for sure, agree. Um, well, before we get into before we talk about Riverlands, um, let's. Um, uh, let's pay off the story of the Halliburton Forest 100, um, <laughs> because we, you know, we just talked about uh, how the two of you uh, came to know each other and uh, about the the shared experiences that that that, that you both uh, that you both had uh, in the sport of, of trail running. Um, the Halliburton Forest 100 was, I, I believe, each of your each of your first attempts at the 100 mile distance. And you had agreed to do it together, right? All right. Now, now there's. I'm going to have you tell the story. You can you can sort of each sort of tag team telling the story. But what I you know I, I guess what I'm really curious about is um, the dynamic of this pact, right? We're going <laughs> to run this together because, as you both know, in an ultra distance race. It's almost like a really great novel. There's all kinds of twists and turns and plot changes and and somebody's stomach goes sideways, you know, in chapter four and it doesn't look like they're going to finish. But then they rally only to have uh, the, the, you know, the the, the other protagonists uh, develop these god awful blisters and, you know, it, their run turns into this horrible shuffle and somehow they make it through. But because you're committed to do it together, you know. Had had you made a pack that if if one wasn't going to finish, you both weren't going to finish, or like so so make sure to sort of tell that part of the story too, because I think that's 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 unique about the two of you doing a race in which a finish is not guaranteed. No hundred mile finish is ever guaranteed. All right, so tell that's your setup. So tell tell the story. I think it goes back to peaks, actually. Don't you think, Mindy? Like, um, oh we, yeah, we, we 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 did all our we like. For the first half of my running uh, ultra career, Mindy and I like pretty much did all our training together, all our long runs together, um, and we started the races together. We didn't say we we're going to stay together the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I went through a bad part at peaks, and I was trying to convince Mindy to go ahead, just leave, just leave, like because my stomach had gone south, and I was not happy. And I was like, "But you're you're good, keep going." And then I um, I rallied. <laughs> And I caught back up and then she felt really bad. She said she had been feeling so bad for leaving me. And so we decided we were just, I, I think it became like, we, we were just going to stick together. For yeah. Um, well, Mindy, uh, what, what are some, uh, what are some memorable moments from the, yeah. the Halliburton forest on it? Now this is oh, a race, wow. this, this is a hundred mile race in Canada, mm -hmm. yes. on Ontario area yes way, way up in ontario okay, mm -hmm. all, right, all right wait well you, that's funny you guys you guys are from maine so when you say something is way up there then then you know <laughs> that you really know it's way up there right? um okay so way up there uh way yeah. up there in the northernmost reaches of ontario um first of all how in the world did you how'd you find out about this this race in the middle of in the middle of nowhere um i mean i had no, I, i've never heard of the halliburton forest yeah. 100 um how'd you find out about so, it Mindy was nice. She let, I wanted a fall race. So we had fall race in mind. And I don't know if you mentioned it because James Deemer, who's a trail yeah. master, had won that race at one time and said good things about it. 
Mm -hmm. So fall. I think, yeah, I think that's how we found it. Um, and I think we wanted to, I mean, not that ultras are giant, at least they weren't really them, but um, I think we wanted a small race. It's, it was the right time of year. It seemed like a very cool location. It's on like a wolf preserve or something. We actually heard wolves howling at night, which was super cool. Um, very so, cool. Um, so yeah. multiple loops out and back, one big loop with the course like. So, so loopish out and back because it had a loop to it, but there was a portion that was out and so. so but it was yeah. two two times. Two big loops. Two big yeah, fifty okay. mile loops. And uh, characteristics of the trails similar to trail running in Maine, more like West Coast trail running. What what were what were the trails like? Similar to forest Maine, roads. But, um, I, think, or... I think there might have been a little more. Um, um, what would you call it? Logging road type. Like. Yeah, dirt road, dirt road. And sort of like, I think coming into each of the some of the aid stations, you'd sort of like come in on a dirt road, I guess you could, it's not like Vermont, but you could, you could imagine sort of like a lot of single track and then sort of popping out onto some, you know, uh, dirt roads. Okay. Um, yeah. so, darkest, so the darkest, darkest, darkest I've ever been in my life. Yeah. yeah. Well, you okay, turn well, your head off, headlamp off to pee and you'd like want to fall over because it was dizzying to yeah, be in okay, that. So, <laughs> all right. So, let, so let's talk about that. So you, so the race is on the smaller side in terms of the participation field. Um, and oftentimes in ultra distance racing, as you know, um, when they, when there are small fields in terms of number of participants, the later you get into a race, the fewer people you end up seeing. So it's not unusual to spend long periods of time by yourself. Not do, us. Yeah, do well, <laughs> except unless you have unless you have a buddy. Um, the fact that it was in a wolf preserve, and and as Valerie said, it was super dark at night. Uh, <laughs> might you have been a little bit more sketched out about the whole thing if you were racing solo uh, and and literally being by yourself for long periods of time in that particular type of setup? I think so for me. I mean, I have to say I've done all my long races with Val. So I don't have that experience of running by myself at night. Um, I don't think I would love it. I don't think, um, I don't think I'd be a huge fan. I think I'd push through, but I, I, I'm not the person who says I love running at night by myself. <laughs> so, so I love running at night, but I've been in, I've, I did um, um, Never Summer in Colorado and was totally by myself. And that's a big race, but I was still totally by myself where there are mountain lions and um, all kinds of cr critters. I was singing out loud. <laughs> and that's not anything, Any maybe that's why no one was near me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, um, it's, it is scary by yourself. At, uh, well, I, you know, we, we certainly are lucky uh, living in New England that for the most part, when we are out in the woods, we are the apex predators, but right. that's not the case in other parts of the world. Right. I mean, I, you know, I, I never think twice when I go out on a trail run, uh, whether or not I'm going to be someone else's lunch. Um, but again, it, it depends, uh, it depends on where you, where you live and, or where you're racing. Um were there any were there any moments uh, during that uh, that race in which the finish looked a little bit in question? And tell the, tell that story. Squirrel um, Squirrel had a little math issue for a little while. I had to freak out. But I, I told her we were good. We were 
we were good. She should. We, we don't let her do math anymore. No, I should not do math, especially not next to a mechanical engineer, um, or late in a, or at mile seventy five of a race. Um, mm -hmm. I was. We had like two little points from what I remember. I think one point we came into like mile seventy five, and I was like, I just don't think. I think half of me was like, Can we please stop? But I think like the my whatever brain part came out was like, I don't think we can make it in time. Like I, there's just so, we have so long to go. It just felt like so many hours that I was sort of calculated in my tired brain. Like, are we gonna make it in time? And I was like, yeah, it's totally fine. We're gonna make it in time. And she's now like, you're, I'm just, you're, yeah. Uh, you're, sorry, you're you're talking about cutoffs. Uh, yes, yes, right? yes. You're yes. talking about staying yeah. ahead of a cutoff. Correct, well, yeah. Minnie ended up being third woman. So we were not, well. we were, <laughs> we tied. Okay we tied. Yeah. That's why we don't let her do the math. No, no, no math. But but uh, but, but yeah. staying ahead of cutoffs is is an, is an important consideration. We'll talk a little bit about cutoffs uh, at Riverlands, uh, what they are, and why they're important for race directors. But they're an absolute consideration, obviously, for for ultra runners. Um, now, I, I mean, ideally, you're you stay far enough ahead of of cutoffs that they're not even actually a, a consideration. Um, uh, but sometimes they do become a consideration if for whatever reason, your pace is slowed considerably because of, uh, you know, some sort of physical issue in the moment, or maybe a navigational issue in which maybe someone has gotten <laughs> off course for a short period of time. Uh, next thing you know, the, the, the cutoffs, uh, sort of come into play. Um, uh, physical issues. Uh, did either one of you have to have to battle through physical issues, uh, during that bad. You, I had bad blisters. Bad yeah. Blisters. Yeah. Bad blisters. That was, that was really, um, I think just the normal fatigue, but, um, just as far as like ache, like any, any serious things, my stomach was fine. Um, but my feet were killing me and just tons of blisters. And did you, my um, stomach always goes South, but, um, that was a race that we only did tailwind. We only, we didn't eat any food. And um, my thing was, well, at least if it's coming out, it's liquid. <laughs> but I didn't get sick. It was just close. Um, well, it's, it, you know, it, it's not unusual for ultra runners to fuel uh, their ultra distance um, events on liquid calories exclusively. That's not, that's not terribly uh, unique. Uh, uh, or uh, or novel, however, um, <laughs> the culture of many ultra distance racing races is that they're literally it's a hundred mile long buffet, um, and we'll yeah, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about the buffet at Riverlands, but it's not unusual, right, uh, for uh, at ultra distance races for well, there's obviously aid stations, um, uh, and uh, oftentimes there are uh, there are foodstuffs that are presented at aid stations that. Well, let's just say they—they're not necessarily the most high-performance foods out there, but there is something sometimes wonderfully special about M&Ms or bacon or Cheetos uh, oh, yeah. right, at at just the right time uh, in an event to to, to pick you up. Um, so, uh, Mindy, you talked about um, uh, blisters. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you: Did um, did the two of you bring uh, a crew with you, or was it just the two of you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had our husbands there crewing for us. We also had a friend, um, a friend of ours who was is a filmmaker, 
and was interested in filming our journey. He's like, had never heard of, or maybe he had heard of ultras, I don't remember. Um, so he was along kind of, so we have this amazing like little short film of our first hundred. So we can go back and watch and laugh at many, many places. <laughs> For some reason I decided to brush my teeth. Popping her blister. Yeah, <laughs> you can see me popping blisters. At one point I thought it was a really good idea that I needed to brush my teeth and there's like, this long shot of me, it looked like must have been like 30 seconds to a minute of just like, you know, sitting in a chair at an aid station brushing my teeth. Um, well, it, you know, it, what, what's funny about that is that um, to the unaccustomed, to someone who's never done ultras, uh, that would seem somewhat unusual to brush your teeth uh, during a race. But the truth is that that is also not a terribly unique or novel thing. Yeah, right. Um, and right, and and anything um, that helps to flip the switch psychologically um, uh, can be can be a huge uh, boost. I'll also say too that drinking that much tailwind at some point, yeah, um, you're. At least, at least my experience, not necessarily with Tailwind, but with with super sweet or sweet uh, sport performance drinks, is when you've been drinking those for you know six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve hours. At at some point, like my teeth started to hurt. Oh uh, yeah, just from drinking the sports drinks, right? So the opportunity to sort of cleanse your mouth that actually exactly. makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, that was it. As my as one of my friends would say in college, this is more related to a hangover than ultra running. But all my teeth are wearing little socks. <laughs> <laughs> Every ultra runner just shook. Yeah. Their head. Yes. <laughs> I just thought of so there was a time I I totally forgot about this where I thought I wasn't going to continue the race because like I thought I was like I I thought I was sure the whole time I'm like thinking back but um the, thinking about the film made me think of I was falling asleep on my feet like literally like I was running and falling asleep and almost falling over and I thought I might not be able to keep going because you can't fall asleep while you're running and and not hurt yourself and I had a cup of coffee and <laughs> it changed my life it, like. <laughs> I mean, like from then on, it was just like go, and it was just a cup of coffee. And then we have a video of Mindy um, drinking a cup, and she goes, "You drink this shit." <laughs> I was not a coffee drinker going in. Uh, okay, well, um, perhaps it's a perhaps it's a silly question, but I'll ask it anyway. So, um, uh, for two ultra runners who make a pack to uh, race together, is having a pacer a thing or is it not necessary if the again the two of you are racing together do, do you need a pacer if it's the two of you so, so we did have our husbands run with us at on stretches did we need it probably not did it help yes it did just having yeah. like that new energy come in it was it was mm -hmm. really nice mm. um yeah talk talk about that uh uh for for just a moment about the uh, about the, the, the benefit uh, of, uh, of having a pacer. Had you done ultras before in which you didn't have a pacer? Um, uh, and obviously in, in this situation, you did have a pacer, but, but talk a little bit about, uh, about the benefit of, of having a pacer, particularly late in the race, obviously late in the race. So this was our first hundred. So we hadn't done one, one of those. I mean, we've done fifties. No one paced us at peaks. Oh, well, that's not true. Peak came in the last little bit of peaks, didn't he? Oh yeah. But um I've since done um, Never Summer 100K out in the middle of Colorado all by myself. And I, having a pacer makes 
a huge difference. Um, mm -hmm. Do you need one? No, but someone who has yeah. a clear head, <laughs> someone who hasn't the biggest... like, been awake forever. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the biggest, well, for me, the biggest benefit I think of. So there was the, the second hundred that we attempted um, in the Ozarks, um, Ozark Trail 100. Um, Val, should, I can't believe she started this race. She was really, really, really sick with the flu, um, which we didn't know um, kind of the night before. I think you started getting, not feeling well. And she texted that morning, like from the other hotel room, she's like, I'm just going to, I have to start. I'm just going to start. I was like, here. Like, yeah. this is badass. We started, I think it was around mile 40. Um, I'd never seen her that ill, like not good. She's like, I have to, I don't want to drop, but I have to drop. And I'd never seen her drop a race before. Like, this is a big deal. And we had a, a friend of ours along that was going to pace anyway. Um, and he ended up pacing me like for the rest of the time. So I actually, there was like a couple of miles that I ran by my, and I was like, wow, I guess I'm going to run this by myself. Like, that'll be, wow. <laughs> um, and, uh, but for late in the rain, this is the same person where I was like, you know, stepped off the trail in the dark to pee and like had no idea where I was, like how to get back on the trail or like what's going on. And when you saw the bear painting. Oh yeah. I had all, then I had some good hallucinations too. Uh, that was in the morning. I saw a bear painting. He was like doing some art in the middle of the woods. I saw a little girl like holding something. She cheering her. I'm like to my pace. I'm like, Tim, look, look at that girl. She's cheering on her dad. He's like, no. <laughs> so it was, yeah. I did go finish, finish it next year though. Yes, I did finish it. She did. Um, I think ultra related hallucinations are probably a podcast episode in and of themselves. <laughs> I, I've heard some really funny stories totally. about that. Um, okay. Uh, so clearly the two of you have uh, a significant amount of trail cred in the ultra running space, no doubt. Um, you know, as, as we, as we have alluded to, uh, you both are co-race directors for the Riverlands 100. Uh, it is billed as Maine's first 100 mile trail race. Um, and so let's spend some time talking about that, but, um, uh, to, to, to preface that, um, tell me about your, uh, race directing trail cred. Um, is this your is this your first race that you've directed? Uh, if not, um, sort of uh, tell the listener uh, how you came to be race directors. So Ian wanted to do Ian Parlin, who's um, the the founder of Trail Monster Running, wanted to have a fifty k and fifty miler, but he was already race directing um, the, all of the Dirt series, and he said. What do you think? And I was like, well, if Mindy will do it with me. So um, we did. And then he also um, stayed with us as a co-race director for a couple of years. But the Big Brad Ultras was born. And so we had started that in 2012. And we have seen that through 10 years. And then Mindy dropped off. And I, I've got someone else doing it with me now. Um, Bucky Love. He's the new um 
bass director, but we did it for 10 years together. Um, five years before we started Riverlands. Um, so where did the inspiration uh, come from to host Maine's mm. first 100 mile race? Yeah. Um, tell that story. I could tell a little, a little prequel a part of it. Um, so we got so tired of running single track at Bradbury as we were training for ultras, we started going to Androscoggin Riverland State Park in Turner, but it was sort of like a long ATV trail that you could, that you could, we were like, let's just like, we don't want to have to think <laughs> to a Yeah. Can we just go straight? And I think we were there in the winter and I think we were like, man, it'd be kind of cool to do like a marathon out here. Um, and then, <laughs> and then it, uh, my husband and I were talking and I, I had just been, um, I don't know what we were talking about, but it was like, we really need to do a hundred miler. And like, and, and I know that Ian had thought uh, for, for a long time about, you know, like we could put on this huge mountain race or whatever, but the logistics of that just kept it being a dream. And I was, uh, so Rick said, well, what about multiple laps at Riverlands? And I said, yes. And I, he also suggested like us being vegetarian. And then I was like, why did I say that? Cause I, I like, <laughs> just these things and I latch onto them. But um, so I messaged Mindy and she's like, yes. So Riverlands was born and um, we were so sure. I mean, like we put on a 50, it'd be so, you know, it's just twice as the distance, you know, we did not know. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's, that's great because um, uh, I, I do, again, I do think for, uh, for folks that have never uh, hosted a race before, it would seem logical um, that, um, you know, a hundred mile race is really just twice as long as a 50 mile race. And I mean, it is, but in terms of the logistics, it, it, it can't, how much more difficult can it be? Um, so, and I, but I, again, as a race director, I understand that <laughs> there are, there are exponentially more. Yes, orders complexities. of magnitude. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, I, Actually, I was going to ask uh, whether or not any other venues were um, were were ever thought uh, of before you before you came to uh, decide to host it at Androscoggin State Park in Turner. Um, I, and maybe you just answered that question. But were it, were were, were, it, were any other venues potentially um, targeted w w with with this idea? No, I think mm -hmm. we were pretty much like yeah. once we latched onto it, it was like yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's a Androscoggin state park. It's a, it's a state park in, uh, in Maine. Bradbury is Bradbury state park is a state park as well. So, and, and I, and I, I, I don't say that to say the obvious, I say that to say that, um, that you had some experience with permitting at a state park in Maine. Um, I have never, uh, gone through this, the state park permitting process in Maine, but I have gone through it in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, and suffice to say, it you know there are logistics and paperwork and follow up associated with with hosting a, a trail race in New Hampshire state parks. I assume it's very similar uh, in Maine, but you had some experience with the permitting process in Maine or Maine state yes. parks, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that that had to make it just a, a little bit uh, a little bit easier. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, you had run there at Androscoggin State Park, and um, 
for for the listener who is not familiar with it, um, the Androscoggin River is this mighty, majestic river that starts in the mountains of New Hampshire, and I believe it runs all the way to the Atlantic Ocean uh, through, obviously, the state of New Hampshire and into the state of Maine as well. It's a it, it it's a it's an amazing uh, body of water. Um, that little tract of property. Um, that Androscoggin State Park is adjacent to the Androscoggin River, correct? Yeah. It is. Yes. Um, so if you were to if you were to look at at the uh, state park map, you would see the Androscoggin River and the state park. Uh, as you look at the map, the state park is to the left of the Androscoggin River. That tract of property. Am I remembering that correctly? Correct. If you're looking, yes, from yes. the south, looking north, it's to the left. Yes, to the left. Okay, got it. And that track of property that and that uh, there, there, there are a number of trails that sort of meander through there. But there is a, but but safe to say or fair to say that there is that one major trail um, that uh, runs parallel to the Androscoggin River uh, in a north to south fashion. That that's yes. the the major trail that. That um, that goes through the entire tract of property, correct? Correct. Right, and that's and that's that's what we originally knew because Minnie and I just went there and we didn't know we hadn't explored the single track yet, and we. So that's what that's why the five lap course to begin with because okay. that's what we knew. Got it. Um, and so the um, this is a multi use trail, correct? I mean you. You describe it as an ATV trail, but is it? Yes. But is is it is it true that it it's not only an ATV trail, but it's a multi-use trail? In other words, if I had a horse, could I ride my Correct. could I yes. could I ride horseback on this trail? Yes. And could yes. I mountain bike on this trail? Yes. And I could hike on it. Um, you know what's, what's yeah. You know what's <laughs> what's what's funny is I actually I actually uh, I went to the Androscoggin State Park website and I looked at all the activities that you could do, and you know what the what one activity uh, that's not included on that trail list running. of things you could do. Yeah. Yes. Mindy's correct. Trail running, <laughs> trail running is not, not that it's prohibited, but it's, it's not listed. Yeah. That's funny. Um, but, but truth is you, it's a multi-use trail, uh, in which, in which you obviously you can, you can trail run on. Um, now that, that, that ATV trail, uh, what, what's the approximate, uh, distance, uh, of that or length of that ATV it's trail? Nine miles. It's about nine miles. Yes. So originally, when we first proposed this, there's this little loop off of it. So we were going to do the loop and go out and then run straight back. So it, it added the two miles that we would need. But so the, uh, of that little loop, part of it's owned by someone like was not in the park and then it got logged. So we needed to find those extra miles. And that's when we added a little bit of the single track in the beginning. And it it was not too um, long before the race first went off. So it was a scramble to find that the mark. I mean, like we scrambled in the beginning, but um, it was, it was a good, was yeah. a good course. To, to get that hundred mile distance that first year, it was a, it was, it was five out and backs. Yes. Right. Um, and uh, how was the race received in that first year in, 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 in this sense? Um how many participants did you have? And then, you know, what, what, what was the feedback uh, from those participants in that first year? I think we had 45 yeah. um, solo runners. 
and we were capped at 70 at the time, 45 solo runners. And we had 14 relay teams. We weren't going to have that many relay teams, but we have this flexibility in our special activities from it. If we don't fill up, like if, if it didn't look like we were going to um, have the full capacity at our solo, we could add relay teams. And so we um, added a couple of those. And um, we thought we would eventually, once we filled, stop having the relay, but we ended up loving their energy. It's such a great, almost like gateway drug to the ultra <laughs> for a lot of people. Um, you know, a, a few of them, um, many of them never ran at night before and, and just were, were so like, we heard owls and it was just, you know, so yeah. Um, so we had good feedback, I think. Don't yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um. Any significant changes that you made between year one and year two? And if so, uh, what, 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 what were those changes? Not one and two. It's after two that our significant changes came. Okay. Talk about those. Well, because mm -hmm. Mindy and I were doing more running and knew more about ultras and, the, and actually Riverlands itself, we're like, we don't, we could add single track, which is much nicer. I mean, like, even though our, um, um, the multi-use trail is not like a road, it's not, it's, it's my, my, when my brother came from Colorado one time, he goes, it's really like just a really wide single track, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, it's not, it's not the beautiful single track. So we um, went out with the, um, intent of finding a way to make it a four loop course and add more single track. And we did. Got yeah. It. Um, so, so let's, uh, well, actually, when is the race? Well, when, 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 what time of year is the race held? So it's the beginning of May. It's usually, it used to be always the second Saturday in May, which unfortunately was um, always Mother's Day weekend. And so that that's, was a problem, but the, the state didn't really want us to go too much earlier because they were always worried that the snow might not relinquish or whatever. Um, but um, we were able to, last year it was like 90 something degrees and it was horrible. And so they, they're, they're allowing us to go a week, um, a week earlier this year. So it's um, May 6th. 6th. May, May 6th this year, May 6th, 2023. Yes. So early May in Maine, it's right around that 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 transition time, that change of season. You know, when you go from yes. mud season to black fly season, right? <laughs> in, in in Maine. So uh, so what 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 can people expect? More on the mud side or more on the black fly side? And I, I don't I don't say that in a pejorative way. I'm saying that in a funny way because we <laughs> we know as New Englanders that you know we. Mud and black flies is just something we deal with as, as trail runners. But um, but what what is it like? Is it is it mm -hmm. more on the muddy side or more on the buggy side that time? So, so um, I don't think mud's ever an issue myself. <laughs> I mean, like people like mud, right? But um, but it's not really a muddy course. The the um, multi use trail can actually be more muddier than our single track. Our single track track is pretty nice out there. Um, the black fly is interesting because we're right on the cusp and depending on whether it's a hot year like we 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 can have no black fly issue or we can have black flies the first year um we call our um middle aid station middle earth 
they were, it wasn't the runner as much as the um, aid station people. They were black flagged. (laughs) (laughs) I think the other thing too, um, are the temperature changes. So for for us on those sort of in-between seasons, we can see a huge, not just year to year, but throughout the throughout the race. So it could be very, very warm during the day or feeling warm because you're running in, you know, in the daytime and get very, very cold at night. So that's one thing we we've had some issues with over the years with runners. Um, and really we've had, yeah, just getting super cold, um, near hypothermic and, and we've added over the years, we've just added more and more kind of guidance or suggestions to our website and all that of like, you know, you gotta, um, you gotta bundle up ready for the night. And then this past year, that was our pre-race. So we, we, um, after COVID, we learned, we liked the pre-race meeting, um, uh, through zoom. And so all our pre-race meeting was all about got to be prepared for the cold, got to be prepared for the cold. And then it was 90-something. And it never got cold. Everybody showed up like with their with their drop bags full of hand warmers and like blankets, like foil blankets and you know, all this stuff that they had never didn't even need. Well, but you never know. Yeah. Due to COVID, it snowed that weekend. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's uh yep. That's that yeah. sh- the, that's shoulder season, mm-hmm. any shoulder yeah. season here in New England. Um, so um, you mentioned the multi-use ATV trail and, 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 and now the course uh, includes some single track. Uh, well, Valerie, I'll ask you, cause you have an analytical mind. What's the, what's the percentage breakdown between. So, so uh, it's a eight- little bit over 40% single track and okay. still uh, like right around 60% of the, um, um, multi-use trail Um, and what's interesting is that our elevation profile isn't scary to people and then they do our race and it's like holy well you know this is a lot harder than it looks on paper uh okay so what well sometimes sometimes the sometimes elevation changes um, uh, are sneaky difficult, not because there's, there are, there are a lot of really long climbs, but the unrelenting up and down, particularly the downhill running, um, it's all, it's all eccentric action, uh, of the quadricep muscle. And, um, I mean, it, it'll blow your legs up twice as fast as any long uphill sustained climb. Is that, is, is that what makes the elevation profile sneaky difficult? Is the, is the rolling unrelenting. terrain? Yeah, yeah. Unrelenting. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so okay. we're, it's funny because, you know, you, you think with GPSs nowadays, you'd have everything totally dialed in, but I get a different thing every time I run there, but we, we say we're anywhere from 12, uh, 10 to 12,000 feet for the race. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, yep. That's not flat. Um, that's not flat. flat. And that's also, you know, actually it's also a little surprising too. Oftentimes we think of, I think of, uh, courses that are adjacent to uh, rivers or streams would mm. naturally be somewhat flat, um, but uh, but in this in this case the the rolling element the 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 ascent adds up over mm-hmm. over time, right? So while there are no long really long grueling climbs, um, there's a lot of rollers and yes, and, and we uh, have a couple short steep. Yeah. We have a couple short steep. Okay, and it's rocky. You know, it's not yeah. flat. It's not smooth. I okay. think that's okay. Yeah. New England technical. Yes. Well, 
the 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 technical uh, element in in nature of trails. Uh, I mean, I've you know I've always thought that uh, what trail running needs is something akin to what alpine skiing has in terms of green trails, blue trails, black trails, black diamond, right? I mean, because because skiers, uh, you know, you can go anywhere in the country and you can, uh, I mean, essentially, you know, green trails are green trails and blue trails are blue trails. Obviously, there's there's geographic, you know. Uh, 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 particularities or peculiarities about about certain things. But I always thought that trail running should have a similar uh, convention when it comes to describing the technicality of trails, because we all know that um, that uh, our impression of how technical a trail is has to do with our experience and the types of trails that we run on. Uh, you two, who spend a lot of time at Bradbury State Park. Uh, Bradbury State Park, there's a lot of really techy, picky, rocky, rooty trails. Now, those trails are technical in my in my jargon and parlance. So if the two of you said to me, Riverlands is a somewhat technical trail, or you would you said it's not technical at all, I would understand it because I understand what there's your experience is, what the context is. Um, but I but but I always I <clears throat> I always think it's 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 sometimes it's treacherous territory as race directors for us to describe the technicality of trails in terms of very technical or slightly technical. I would rather use terms like it's rocky, it's rooty, it's twisty. At least that way people understand. I mean, do you, you guys feel the same way about these subjective descriptions of technicality? Yeah, but you know what? When people come from out west, their idea of rocky and rooty and <laughs> twisty is totally different than ours. Also, totally, <sighs> totally fair. I guess that's where I guess that's where uh, possibly having uh, uh, pictures from the race available for people to look at, right? Because uh, uh, I don't know if you guys do this or not, but if I'm investigating a new race, one of the things that I'll do is I'll go to the photos and I'll look at photos if I want to understand what the course is like. Do you guys do the same thing? Mm, I, I guess so. I mean, sometimes it's hard just, to, but I think the profile seems to, to, for me at least, and again, you know, uh, that seems to be like the biggest scarier, the biggest barrier to sort of scary barrier to kind of, you know, get your mind around first. But, but that said, you know, I think, you know, I think what we've done to just try to refine that is sort of like add to people's descriptions. We've put it on our website, sort of different people talking about the trail in different ways. Um, I think we originally said like, this is a doable first hundred, which we totally took off like <laughs> later. Cause it's people, doable it's, it's doable. But, but like, maybe, most race directors try to oversell their, um, course is being yeah. hard people told us we were not doing it justice yeah so. like this is a lot harder you know we've had um we had a you know uh i don't know what the word is famous prominent uh really super good nationally ultra runner known. nationally known ultra runner come do our race and and he won and he did fine um but he was beat up and he he said i had to earn that he 
He's like, that was not easy. Of course, we thought that was the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> We're like, all right, like yeah. if we can. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's all, there's always that very tricky place that you find yourself in as a race director. Um, uh, <laughs> well, you don't, you don't want to scare people off, but you also want to make sure people are somewhat informed. They know what sure. they're getting themselves into. Right. Um, uh, because I mean, you, you want people to show up to your event as prepared as they possibly can be. Once again, with the understanding that no 100-mile finish is ever guaranteed. And I think any, any ultra runner understands that um, as they step to the line of a 100-mile race. That it's not a given that they're actually going to finish. That said, I suspect uh, uh, perhaps you you keep these statistics. What is your – what's your finish rate um, um, or, or DNF rate, I, however, however you think about it, however you say it. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, I don't have that off the top of my head, but you know what? We had 19 finish out of, um, 65 start last year. Eight, there were 80 people registered, but only 65 started. I think the temperature scared them and then 19 finished. Okay. And of those 19, um, we didn't have anyone break 24 hours. Oh, one person broke 24 hours. I mean, like it was, it was a horrible yeah. race. And so we bought, we've bought only 200 buckles in our, so we've done the race five years. We don't even need to buy buckles for this race yet. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and again, I, I, some people like stuff that's super hard and challenging. I mean, and, and um, uh, yeah. And the fact that it's the only hundred mile uh, trail race in Maine is also a draw, right? For people that are, there are people that, for people that are keeping lists of places mm -hmm. that they've done hundred mile races. I suspect that's probably a thing, um, and uh, and so it it's hard. Uh, you don't you're not underselling it. Um, well, you're not underselling it anymore. Now <laughs> <laughs> we learned. Um, okay, um, so. Clearly, the race is, is a challenge for the reasons that you described. The oftentimes the time of year and, and the, the temperature changes. Um, the fact that, uh, that that the course is is rolling in terms of the the accumulated elevation uh, change, um, uh, rocks and roots, and sometimes there's mud. So all of that um, um, means that it is a it is a significant challenge as race directors. Um, particularly for ultras, it's not unusual for uh, ultra distance races, as we've talked about, to have cutoffs, um, you know, for, for several reasons, I would think, for the, the safety and the health uh, of our volunteers, so that our volunteers know that, uh, you know, that their commitment is X number of hours versus it could be days. Uh, that we're so gonna ask Mindy you. and I don't die. Okay. <laughs> also, we stay awake for the whole home. time. Also, also for the safety and the health of the race directors, true, yes. and of course for our participants as well. Yes, all yes. of those reasons, uh, cutoffs exist. Um, does your race have cutoffs, and if so, what are they? How, what 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 can people expect with respect to cutoffs at Riverlands? Go ahead. So it's, it's 32 hours to finish our race. And um, you buckle if you complete it in that 32 hour period. Now we do have hard cutoffs and they have to be adjusted right now because we have something going on, which we'll announce for the first time on your <laughs> podcast. Please do. Breaking news. Breaking we news. have a course change. Mm -hmm. 
it wasn't our choice, but we've made a good one and we feel like uh, the course may actually get better, but um, the park is in dispute with a landowner as to whether one of the trails is fully on the park property. So we had to make a change. So. Okay. For people that have raced the race before that are familiar with the course, um, do you, do you, do you want to, can you describe where this, uh, course change occurs? So, so, so I can totally describe people for people who are familiar with Riverlands. And if they've run the course before, I can tell them what they won't be running, but they won't know what they will be running. Cause it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of obscure. Yeah. Um, so it's deer path is no longer part of our race. So to get up to ledges, we're now going up Ridge, which will be a steeper climb, a shorter, steeper climb to get up to the top. They're going to get to the same elevation, but they're going to get there quicker. So it's going to make our cutoff times at our aid stations different. That's why, um, that's how I thought of it at, at this time about, um, because not only do we have our um, overall cutoff, we have um, cutoffs during the race. Okay. Um, um all right. Well, that's that. That's interesting and exciting for participants to hear that. Um, so there's obviously you, you talked about there's that overall cutoff of 32 hours. When do the when do the um, um, the when do the secondary uh, cutoffs begin to occur? At what at what mile mark or at what aid station? Um, if I'm racing the race, do I need to start being concerned that I got to stay ahead of the cutoff? When 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 do the when do the secondary cutoffs uh, come into play? At what at what mile or or at what aid station or both? You want to do it, Min? Or no, I'm trying to remember. I know we have got some soft cutoffs and some hard cutoffs. Yeah. So we have soft cut. The first soft cutoff is at 50, and it's not a cutoff. This one, since it's soft, it's like a suggestion. You should be leaving here by this time. Our our first hard cutoff is at mile 75. Mile 75. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And, uh, and again, you, you have to adjust, you're going to need to adjust what that time actually is because of your course change. But so the first hard cutoff is mile 75. Uh, so soft cutoffs and hard cutoffs. That, that, that's an interesting, that's an interesting topic, I think as well. Um, I had a client a couple of years ago, um, race, uh, Wasatch hundred, uh, out in the Wasatch range in, um, Utah. Yeah. Right. Um, and she was battling the cutoffs, uh, quite a bit in the last third of, of the race. And, um, she, um, she rolled into one aid station and, uh, just looking at her watch and, and her knowing what the cutoffs were, she knew she had missed the cutoff. I mean, but she hadn't missed it by much, maybe a couple of minutes, but she had missed the cutoff. Uh, and so she had sort of resigned herself that, that this was it, that her Wasatch race was, was over and is, it was beyond mile 70. And I can't remember exactly where, uh, and as she was, you know, sort of gathering herself to, you know, to, to be done with the race, uh, a volunteer told her that she needed to get going to, to stay ahead of the cutoff. And she kind of she thought that was sort of strange because she knew what the time was and she knew she had missed the cutoff and i don't remember i can't exactly remember the story maybe there was not necessarily a race official right there at that time and then the volunteers sort of started they were talking amongst themselves and they then there was some dispute anyway she continued even though she had she knew she had missed the cutoff eventually she got to the next aid station and because she was battling the cutoffs 
she missed it again. This time, you know, a race they official was it. there, and then and and that and that was the end of it. Um, and that, but I remember having the conversation with her after, and she she was confused um, and wasn't sure what to do. Um, let me ask it this way: Have either of you had an experience within a race in which? Maybe you thought you missed a cutoff, but you were allowed to continue this soft cutoff versus a hard cutoff. Have, have either one of you had that experience as competitors? So, yeah. Yeah. And it begins with a W2. We were doing, <laughs> yeah. the, Wapik. We were doing the Wapik 50 and we we knew we missed the cut. We knew going in, we had missed the cutoff. We, we we were like, oh well, you know, good experience, blah 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 blah. This like we were we were late, and when we got in there, they said we could keep going, but we had already quit because we knew we were done, you know, and so we didn't we we couldn't wrap our head back around being allowed to go. Got it. I think Val would have kept going. I I was, uh, for me, I had I had made that switch already in my head, and I couldn't get out of it. So I was like, I can't, I'm, I'm done. Totally, so, yeah. totally, totally understand that. Yeah. So, um, so, so, so that's the thing, you know, um, at, at um, our races, we try to say the race director should be the one to enforce the cutoffs. Now we have a, uh, we have an aid station where we don't get to. So then it's the aid station captain. Random volunteer shouldn't be telling someone whether they get to go or not. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. And I was I was as surprised as anyone to hear that there was that confusion in a race like Wasatch, which is huge. Is, isn't it in it's part of the grand slam of of ultra running? Isn't that what they call it? The, mm-hmm. right, the yeah. six major ultras uh in the United States, uh or six major hundred milers in the in the United States. Anyway, um so your so suffice to say, your hard cutoff at mile seventy-five is a hard cutoff. You have to yeah, make and it. It's a, and, and it's at the start finish, so we we Mindy and I are there. Okay, All right. yeah. Um, we do have a hard cutoff at, at another place, but our husbands are there, and they know what they're doing. <laughs> they know what they're supposed to be doing, right? Um, <laughs> aid stations. Uh, so the it's a twelve and a half mile lap, right? Yeah. Um, Within that 12 and a half mile lap, how many aid stations, there's an aid station obviously at the start finish area, uh, but how many more aid stations can I expect when I go from the start area to where I need to turn around at the end of the trail at 12 and a half miles? So there are three physical aid stations, but it's like we have four because you hit that middle one uh, twice in a lap, right? So you have start finish, you have middle earth, you have conant, and then you hit middle earth before you get back to start finish. Got it. So, uh, Conant, that's the aid station at the very end of the trail. Correct. Where you turn around and then come back. That's where right. you see our husbands. Your husbands <laughs> are at the other your husbands are at the other end. Is there something strategic about your husbands being 10 miles apart the whole time? <laughs> okay. Maybe. What's the, what's, is there good is there good cell service uh in that in that neck of the woods? And there actually is a conant. Yeah. Okay. All right. Got it. Um well and communication is always a, an important consideration. Um uh, how do you how do you communicate with Middle Earth, and then how do you communicate with the aid station that your that your husbands run at the at the other end of the trail? What's your what is your communication method between aid stations and race officials? Interestingly, our aid station is placed partly with that um, with cell service in mind. Most people have self-service at Middle Earth and our aid station captains do. And we have a jet pack, which is a little booster thing for people who don't have um, 
good cell service there. So it's all through cell. Got it. Okay. Um, those aid stations, what are they typically stocked with in terms of, uh, in terms of foodstuffs uh, and or aid station or first aid supplies or, or volunteers or what, what can I expect as a participant? What am I going to see at the aid stations? Yeah. Go ahead, man. Pretty, I was just gonna say, want to say like standard aid station food fair, that could mean a lot to a lot of people. Um, salty stuff, sweet stuff, hot food. We try to stagger things. We'll have um, homemade soups, um, so different each, places. Each aid station mm -hmm. has their own homemade soup, like different one, you know? So yeah. Um, we've got just basic first aid. We have a, um, uh, Service food, though. Oh yeah, we have unlimited bacon. Yes, we do. Yeah, um, we have a we have a, we have a trail monster who donates thirty pounds of bacon. So unlimited bacon, <laughs> and the aid stations get very creative with what they do. With yes, the that, yes. That, that's a lot of bacon. Um, uh, it, uh, go, go, I, I mean, Mindy was about to do the first aid. I'm sorry, I interrupted because yeah, bacon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, oh, no, just, ba sometimes yeah. bacon and first aid is actually related, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but basic first aid supplies, uh, yeah. right, Mindy? Basic first aid supplies, and then we have uh, EMT at the start finish that's there the whole time, or almost the whole time. Got it. And they have a, uh, um, a little ATV, a little a, a litter or whatever they can drive out. Yeah. Um, Middle Earth is accessible by vehicle, I'm guessing. No, ATVs. only ATVs, not, not, um, not car or truck, but only ATV. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, okay. Drop bags. It, it, that's a thing, uh, for, uh, for ultra runners. How do the, how does your drop bag, uh, process work? Why would I need a drop bag? Uh, if I'm, if I'm doing the race. It's girl. Um, so we have drop bags. You can have them at the start finish. Um, people park, you know, that's also kind of where people's cars are. So you can, you know, you can use your car as a, you know, uh, drop bag place. We have them, um, out at Conan road. Um, we try, we have some measurements, you know, we kind of recommend, uh, a size. Some people bring like steamer trunk full of equipment they think they might need that we have to haul out there <laughs> for our volunteers. So we try to keep it, um, try to keep it to a minimum. Um, and we try to keep our, you know, aid stations stocked that you're not going to need. Um, I mean, you, you, people would use a drop bag if they want shoe change, if they want, they have special food they want, um, you know, th th their own stuff. But generally, I don't think you need, a, you know, a giant, giant bin of, of, you know, everything, <laughs> everything you've ever, you know, used in a race ever. Yeah. That, that gear bin likely would be at the start finish area where you, you sure. have access to it, right. Every 25 miles. You Correct. Have, right. You have access right. to that. Yes. Um, cruise. Crews are allowed. Um, uh, where, uh, where, where do crews access their runners? Is it at, is it at one point uh, uh, on the course? Is it at multiple points of the course? What do crews need to know if they're showing up to Riverlands to assist their runner? 
Crews need to know that it's a really easy job because they can only be able to start finish. Um, that's yeah. the only place that they can see their runner unless they want to volunteer. If they sign up for an aid station, they can see their runner somewhere else. Okay. Okay. Um, what What is the physical layout of the start finish? What does that that area look like? Let's say I've got. Uh, uh, I've got a, a, a pop-up camper that I usually bring with me when I crew at races and, and, uh, can I bring my pop-up camper? What are, what, what I've got it, or I've got an RV. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm asking, I'm asking crazy questions because yeah. sometimes people do show up with, uh, with pop-up campers or RVs. What, um, what, what are the guidelines and, 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 or restrictions about, uh, crews and vehicles and, and shelters? What, I'm going to be there obviously for a while. What, uh, what can I bring or what can't I bring if I'm crewing? Yeah, go ahead. So we say no <laughs> pop-up tents or our tents. Um, but here's what happens. Our, the reason our race is limited to 80 people is because it's a small parking lot. There's not a lot of access. And so we ask that people don't have tents, but you know, what happens is, if during the night when things have kind of settled down and people have you know, like gone and crew have gone home or whatever, if there's space, then you can like, people put their tents like over their pickup trucks or they get creative. And if the race directors are not seeing anything <laughs> outrageous, we, we let it go, but certainly no campers. Okay. Try not to have multiple vehicles. Um, you know, um, Martin Stream Campground is where uh, our pre-race, uh, not pre-race, yeah, our pre-race dinner and packet pickup is, and it's also where the post-race party is. It's a private campground. They have camping space. You know, if you want to have an RV, go five miles down the street and, and uh, park there. Okay, got it. Um, pacers, uh, are pacers allowed uh, at uh, Riverlands 100? Yes, yes, they are. <laughs> and um, when uh, when can a pacer start to pace their runner? At what at what mile mark or what lap? You can have a run a pacer starting at fifty, only one pacer at a time. But you could have two pacers because you could have one for each of the last two twenty five mile laps. And people cannot start from any other location other than start finish. Okay, got it. And um, pacers need to be registered with the event. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And uh, are they assigned a bib or some sort of identification? Yeah. Yes, we give a pay. So uh, we'll have a waiver for the pacer to sign, and um, we give them a pacer bib. Okay. Is there uh, is there are there any rules or guidelines about what a pacer can and can't do with and for their runner? I mean, that sounds kind of self-explanatory but um can a pacer carry a run the runner's backpack in the or not no. backpack, uh, yeah. hydration pack or or can uh can can the pacer um you know hand a uh a water bottle to their runner what what what, what are the rules and guidelines about about pacing what what are the do's and don'ts Generally, we say no muling, which means no carrying things for your runner. Um, 
We don't have any. I know some other races ha are very specific about whether you can run behind your runner, in front of your runner. It, we don't have any restrictions on that. Um, so as long as they start at the right place, they sign their waiver, um, and they're not carrying any stuff for their uh, for their runner. Um, those are kind of our only our our basic so, rules. And you really aren't supposed to be crewing for them so much till they get to the aid station. Aid station. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> Got it. Um, you're there for moral support as a yes. as a pacer, um, really. Um, okay, uh, relays. Uh, what are the what are the relay rules? I've if I'm bringing a team there, um, um, how many people? Uh, is there a minimum? Uh, this minimum would be would be two. Is there a maximum? What what number of number of people on a relay team? What are the details? So it is from two because people can do multiple laps if they want. Um, I guess you could actually have one, but then why not do the hundred, right? <laughs> it's cost more to be a team. Um, so two to five people because um, you have to do a 20, 20 mile lap. Got it. And we did keep their um, course the same. The the, the five um, the relay team does the original course. Because we liked five. Um, it, it, it keeps it so that more people can do it. If you make it a, a, a 25 mile, it just puts it that much harder out of reach for some people who are like doing their longest run ever. Okay. All right. Got it. Um, schedule of events. Um, you said that there's a there's a pre-race meeting. Um, when when does the when does the pre-race meeting occur? Obviously, it occurs pre-race, but does it occur the day before? Uh, that is there is there a pre-race meeting the morning of, and then what time does the race? Uh, what does does this does this race start? What are the what's the details about the the schedule of events? Mindy's put a really nice schedule of events on our website, um, but uh, what we've been doing since we discovered the Zoom meeting with COVID is that we will have a Zoom meeting. Uh, I think it's a week a before. week before, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then um, the the day before people do their packet pickup, and we have a, a a dinner available if people want to have dinner with us, and then they meet the next morning, and we have a really really brief pre race meeting before we go off, and all our races go off on the dot. They go off on time. No, that that's basically how we um um time our timing. Yeah, so. Yeah, is is based on, on based on it's it, it assumes a specific start time. Well, it, right. it, it our tracker does our actual timer. I mean, it's not that, but but Got it. for general purposes, yes. Got it, and that's a six a.m. start. Yes, right. Six a.m. start, and, uh, and and relay and and, and um, solo go off at the same time. Okay, and then uh, the core the course the course closes at two p.m. Uh, the next day, Sunday. That is the 32 hour cutoff. Right. right? Um, and then you've got a, you've got a post-race meal. Uh, you yes. mentioned at the campground. Mm -hmm. well, what, what, what are the details of this, uh, of the post-race uh, meal at the Martin stream campground? So that starts early, earlier than the two o'clock. Cause a lot of people finish early. Right. And so, but the awards doesn't start till three, which is also at the park. So I think is it, noon Mindy that the um, yeah. starts so you can go there when you're done and have um this year we're going to do kind of a barbecue type burgers and dogs kind of very thing. cool uh salad and and um 
Like some beers and, and water <laughs> and whatever. Yeah. And then um, the award ceremony uh, for all solo runners and relay teams starts at 3 p.m. on Correct, that's right. Sunday. Uh, that's where you are handing out the belt buckle. Yes, right. For your for your finishers, for your mm-hmm. right people to finish under 32 hours. Um, uh, what about what about teams? What are the what 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 are the what, what kind of awards do you give out? Before we go to um, teams, yeah. let's do the rest of the solo. Please. So, so not only do we do um, a buckle for our people who finish, um, it, we also do a first place um, Adirondack chair with the buckle burned into the back of it for first place man and first place woman. And then we do our last meal in the barn award, which is a little cup. It's a um, like for a main, we call it the main mule actually. And so- like a Moscow mule. A Moscow mule kind of, but so you've got the copper mug with their um, last meal in the barn engraved in it. And then it has a, um, a, a vein, a ginger brew and a little shot of vodka with it. Very cool. Um, what about, uh, all right, thank you. Uh, oh, 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 oh. What else, yeah. you, what else are you missing? <laughs> we have a 500 mile belt. So what does that um, mean? last year, only two people could possibly have earned it. And one actually did. And so it's, it's a specially engraved Riverlands belt. And then we serial. So there's only one serial number so far, because only one person's <laughs> earned it. So um, this year, two people again are in line to earn it. Now, uh, these um, these 500 mile distinctions uh, uh, are related to uh, uh, finishing the Riverlands 100 race five times, right? Yes, That's what correct. you mean about these this the 500 mile distinction, right? People that yes, are right. people that have finished the race five times. Um, Sam Hay, a trail monster, who we met through he he signed up for Riverlands the first year. That was his first trail race ever, and he's the only <laughs> one who's ever finished it uh, five times. Pretty impressive, for sure. Yes. Um, relay teams, awards for relay teams. Relay teams get a hoodie, um, and then we also have this thing called the Beast Bowl. Um, and the Beast Bowl is we we spend a lot of hours on the trail trying to come up with like awards, and and we're like, what if we did like a Stanley Cup, and like you got your like it would travel around and people would take it places and like fill it with beer. It didn't quite take on that, that fantasy, but uh, we have like a big, um, I guess what steel tub that we call the beast bowl that each the winning team each year gets their name names engraved on it. Um, And we fill it with, yeah, ice and beer. Very cool. Very cool. Um, the reason it was called the Beast Bowl, but no one, yeah. like, unless you've Nobody knows. Been a long time, you won't understand it. But there was the Turner Beast. Um, th- th- there was this, people were seeing so, something around and they thought it was like, you know, some cryptozoological. Devil. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so we thought the Beast Bowl was uh, a good name for Okay. Well, that's a, that is an excellent tie-in. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> for anyone that's a little... You- Bring us a little spooked about being alone in the woods. Uh, <laughs> right. Yep. Look out for yep. the turnip. That's beans. greatly appreciated. You've just given people <laughs> one more reason to uh, to to be somewhat uh, leery about being in the woods uh, at night in Maine. Um, but they, it's just they legend. Did find the beast. 
they found a they found a a a a, a um dog well they that's a do a DNA thing. This was a long time ago. And I, it was a coyote. It was, it was a beast, you know. But we have a new thing we're doing this year for um, Relay Teams too. Um, we started it um, this past year at um, Big Brad, and it's called the Fastest Leg. And we have a wooden leg cutout that we will put the person who's the, the fastest man time and fastest woman time. Very cool. Also very, very cool. Um, so lots of cool things um, for uh, for both solo runners and for teams to expect. Um, well, let's 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 finish with this. I want to draw upon uh, uh, both of your personal experiences as ultra runners um, and your unique uh, professional careers uh, to give the listeners some insight uh, into what it takes to buckle at Riverlands. Okay. So Valerie, I'll start with you. So you're, you're, you're retired engineer, but you're an engineer. You've got an engineer brain, a very analytical technical brain. Valerie, what, what do you feel like are the, the technical keys to, to finishing Riverlands 100? It's funny because some of the things that I think are technical are going to feed into more yeah. psychological. It's okay. Yeah, but, um, it's okay. Um, when when you had asked this question, I was thinking of the technical things going into the race, not going into the runner's race. But like, you know, we've developed a really cool timing, our own like tracker that we've like been working on through the through the entire um years that we've been doing it and it's just been getting better and better but um crew and um relay teams can see where their runners are based like uh, what a station they've been at at what time and and that type of thing and those are the technical things and and the um course markings and the logistics of of uh bringing stuff out to the trail. Now, from a runner's point of view, I think it's mostly psychological and, yeah. and the, the, the logistics maybe keep, yeah, I think it's mostly psychological. Well, let me, then let me ask you a little bit more nerdy specific <laughs> question then, right? Um, as, uh, as an ultra runner, did you, um, did, did you keep lists, uh, gear list, uh, things that you would bring with you? Did, 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 did you have to have lists, uh, Val, when you were preparing, uh, packing your car? Uh, did you have lists or did you just wing it? So I had lists and I do make lists, but I have to say my husband is more of a nerd and he does a lot of that for me. <laughs> um, okay. um, I sometimes don't even look at the course and... <laughs> He's like got all the um, like what time I should be there and and all that. I he's an engineer like, too. We should I, mention. I, I, just like to, I just like to run. <laughs> okay, so so I, I guess what I'm hearing is that for you, uh, Val, the um, the the analytical part of of what makes you or what made you successful professionally, um, maybe you didn't draw upon that as much. In terms of, in for, terms for, of for running, for running, it definitely is in Riverlands as far as getting it laid out for people. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yes, as yes, as race directors, 
it's less about emotion and it's more about just getting the details nailed down. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Totally. All our emotions and love are in it. <laughs> but yes. 100%, there's, there's no doubt about that. All right. Well, Mindy, uh, as a, as a behavior analyst, so I'm going to ask you to, uh, uh, to use your, um, uh, your background and expertise uh, in spe specifically uh, in the realm of this concept known as psychological yeah. flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, and so let me ask, let me ask you this um, from, from your perspective, your professional perspective, and also drawing upon your experience as an ultra runner. Um, do you think that uh, psychological flexibility or mental toughness uh, it, which of those is more important, do you think, uh, on this particular course? I would, that's a good question. I, <laughs> I come at most everything from psychological flexibility. Um, so I would absolutely say that. I think, I think the challenges, um, I think the challenges on this course are the loops. Um, I think it is very, very difficult to come back into the start finish aid station at night when you're tired and go back out again. So I think that's a that's a easy if I were thinking of the place of the things I might recommend for someone of places where I think that that would get very sticky and where I would want them to sort of resource themselves, prepare themselves would be coming back in, having a plan for how you're going to get back out there. Um, if you're going to have a pacer or not, I think a lot of people get into a dark place and um, they forget that they could have somebody with them and that it's not, they're not running the race for you, but it could really be a resource to help change your, change your mood, change your mind. We've sent a lot, we've, we've had people sort of limp into the start, uh, start finish at a lap being ready to stop and, and like, yelling out in the parking lot, like, Hey, does anybody want to pace this person? And we found people, they're like, someone's like putting their shoes on and running over at like three in the morning. So, um, and it could turn your race around. So mm -hmm. I think, I think the lap thing is, is a sticky place. I think, um, when people start feeling physical pain, there's sort of like that kind of, are you hurt or are you hurting question that you may not be able to answer for yourself. I think we see, we see all of it, right? From the, from all the racers, we follow their stories. There's people who come in that are hurting um, that may not necessarily be hurt, but their mind is telling them you're hurting yourself, which is a very easy and kind of narrow, usual place that, that a lot of folks go when they come in and, um, they feel like I'm I'm going to be hurting myself more, which which absolutely could be the case. I don't want to say that's always, you know, because I know people that are like truly hurt and they didn't finish because they didn't want to hurt themselves more, which is absolutely right. Um, but there's a gray area um, and that can be hard to hard to make that call yourself. Even with um, the, the not being able to eat, right? Am, am I, yeah. is this a physical problem that I can get through or do, is this a medical issue that I need to have attended yeah. to? And, and it's hmm. hard to know. Um, and, and I guess my follow-up question to that would be is, um, um, I believe part of the concept of psychological flexibility uh, involves um, uh, being and staying present. Uh, and, and if and if so, um, how important do you feel that that is, uh, Mindy? Um, uh, when when you're when you 
when you encounter those sticky situations as, yeah. as you described, how important is staying uh, present, staying mm -hmm. in the moment? Some people uh, would use the expression of, you know, be in my shoes or, you know, stay yeah. in my shoes. How important is this, this concept of being present in those sticky situations? I think that it's critical. I mean, I, I think, I think for many people, they hear that and they think someone's, you know, has to stop and meditate during the race, but it, it could, in a practice sense, what you're doing is sort of orienting yourself back into your body, back into what's happening right now, instead of going off on that trail in your mind, you're, you're you may be here saying, um, I'm in a shit place right now, as you're standing there, like, okay, I know my mind is telling me I'm in a shit place but I can sort of orient myself back into my body and, and, and get a sense of um, what's happening in this moment, as opposed to not even having that awareness, being way down a path of a bad story about you know where you are, what's happening. Um, so I would say that, and it could just be a moment, again, ways you kind of prep yourself or resource yourself to be like, okay, I'm gonna have my crew say like, I want you to take a minute and just like feel your feet, get back here, um, and, and then you can make a decision from that place, you know, mm. um, from then from, you know, like I'm done walking away. Like, don't talk to me. Like <laughs> jump on that because, um, I just had that happen to me. So, um, I ran run rabbit run. It was going to be my last 100, I thought, but now I have to go back because I didn't finish and I didn't do what Mindy was saying. Uh, I was running with someone and we were both kind of um, throwing up all the time and we, we couldn't eat, we couldn't drink, but we were, we were together feeding off of each other. And by the time we got to the aid station and there was someone to give us a ride back, I was done. I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. And then, then um, back when I was showering, my husband says, you know, I made a rookie mistake. I didn't make you sit there. I, I, he goes, I've seen you worse than this. I go, no, I made a rookie mistake. I didn't make myself sit there. You can regroup. You can like reassess and take that time. And, and exactly what Mindy was saying, I didn't mm. do. And mm. so now I have to go back out there. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I think, I think a lot of that uh, speaks to um, how critically important crews can be um, you know, in, in, in the, in the later stages, uh, of an event, um, uh, you know, to sort of help you to refocus, to help you to sort of pause, 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 yeah. let's, you know, let's analyze this, uh, and then let's, you know, let's make a decision. Um, all right. Uh, that's really good. That's really, really helpful stuff. Um, so the, the 2003 race is sold out obviously. Um, but if folks would like to experience the, 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 the vibe of the event, um, are there still volunteer opportunities to be had? And if so, um, I, now I'm intrigued. Uh, how do I, how do I find out more about volunteering for this race? Because this may be a race I might want to race in 2024. So how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I volunteer? How do I learn, um, a, how do I learn more about the event? But more specifically, how do I learn more about volunteer opportunities at Riverlands? Yeah, go to our website, riverlands100.com. And there is a uh, drop-down menu. I think it's uh, you'll see it at the top. If you scroll across, you'll get to a volunteer uh, tab. Click on that tab, and in big letters, it says, click here to volunteer. And you click on that, and you can sign up.
also, if you follow us on our Facebook page, it's also a tab on, I mean, there's a link on our Facebook page and you'll see, like, we're putting out stuff constantly right now about um, getting out there to do trail maintenance or, you know, we're going to be doing some um, uh, previews of the course and I. I the social media, the, yeah. yeah, the Facebook page that Val maintains is very active. So there's a lot of people who are going out on training runs. They'll post pictures of trail conditions. Um, it's it's a huge resource of and community if you're if you want like almost yeah, at some point you know pretty pretty frequent updates. Yeah. Oh, and, and also there I'm both on uh, the website again Riverlands100.com uh, and the Facebook page. We have a link if you want um, a pacer. Or, crew, or like a pacer or a relay runner, or if you want to pace someone or be a relay runner, we have a link where you can put, put up um, and it, it'll enter your uh, name onto a spreadsheet so you can look for a, a, a compatible uh, runner or pacer. Yeah. Also, it's a really good point. I mean, I was thinking, I was thinking about um, ways to experience the event through volunteering, uh, but to your point, um, you can also experience the event really sort of more viscerally, uh, more firsthand, particularly the course, uh, by signing up to pace someone. Oh, but we don't think we you have to limit yourself. Oh, so, <laughs> wait, so you could you could potentially do both, is what I'm hearing you say. Yes, I could. Volunteer, A lot of our relay runners do both. So I could volunteer and I could pace. I could exactly. actually, I could I could I could I come and participate in a relay team, volunteer, and pay someone. You could. You could. <laughs> we might even like mention you at the awards. That's right. There could be like a hat trick award or something for yeah. that. That's actually that's actually a pretty special feat for sure. Um, okay. Um, what did I miss? What, what did I miss about Reverlands that you guys need and want to talk about? Gosh, I don't. I think, a great community. Yeah. Oh, our ATV club. Our, the the, oh, the relationship yeah, yeah. we have with them. Oh my goodness. Please. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that um, the Turner um, Timberlands ATV club have essentially made this be possible yeah. by um, supporting us. They they bring all of our stuff out to Middle Earth. They pick up injured runners. They they're there. Our volunteers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting because I think a lot of trail runners may not have a, um, I don't want to say, they may have a stereotype ATV rider in their head. And we've just had such a good relationship with them. And we go out um, and help them do their um, haunted ATV ride at, at, at the state park um, in October. Yeah, It's just been, it's, it's kind of been eye-opening to see different people, you know, in, in, in a way that, that a lot of runners may not see them, but yeah. Well, it's, it's yeah. absolutely true that, um, that multi-use trails, uh, are stewarded. Uh, I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it. Word. Um, <laughs> <I like> it. <laughs> the stewards of multi-use trails in the summertime, oftentimes are ATV clubs in the wintertime are snowmobile clubs. And, uh, for those of us that prefer non-motorized recreation, trail running, hiking, skiing, mountain biking, um, it's easy to take for granted that there are clubs 
um, that are very active in um, not only maintaining the trails that we multi-use trails that we enjoy, um, but also working to preserve those multi-use trails and to create more recreational opportunities. So um, Val, that's a, that is an excellent point as, mm. as trail runners. And I'll also note as fat bikers and snowshoers, we, uh, we really should look to support our local ATV uh, mm -hmm. groups and our local snowmobile clubs. Um, any other sponsors that uh, you need or want to mention, you mentioned the ATV club and any, are there any other groups that are, that are responsible for, uh, for helping to support your event? We have very few. Um, there is a um, local um, water, water. Uh, spring water um, that, that provides a lot of bottled water for us. So that we, I mean, it, you're, we're out in the middle of nowhere, so to get water is, is difficult. And um, they're listed on our website. Um, they're from. They're in Green, Maine. Can't, uh, oh, so so when I was talking about our. Um, um, Adirondack chairs and yes. our, um, uh, the fastest leg. Bob Poirier, our trail monster, um, makes all those, but he also sells them. So, I mean, like, that's his donation to, to, to that's how he volunteers is by supplying them. But he does it for all our races. The, not only Riverlands has the, the logo burned into the back <laughs> of it, but um, he, he's an amazing runner. Uh, he'll be, he's been at the relay every single year. He runs it too. Um, and, um, Ann, Ann Nanovic. Oh, Ann Nanovic. We, we, in our um, packet pickup, we have these amazing little um, hard candies. They're, they're you know, like, it's a main product, but she gives us little jars for each individual, uh, for every runner to have a um, jar of these little candies. Um, Very cool. Baxter, Very cool. I forget. Baxter's Fine Candies. That's it. Yeah. Baxter's Fine Candies. So. Very good. Um, well, Valerie and Mindy, um, it's been a lot of fun. And um, uh, fingers crossed that uh, that there is ample mud and or black flies, um, but 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 less likely there to be eighty and ninety degree temperatures, right? Amen. So I'm so I'm Amen. wishing you cool temperatures, plenty of mud, and if there happens to be a black fly or two, well, quite frankly, that's a big part of the main experience. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank thank thanks again, guys. I, I appreciate you sharing your stories. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Boy, I think Mindy nailed it when she described perhaps one of the most challenging elements of Riverlands 100, and, and frankly, any loop or lap course. Having to leave the warmth and comfort of the start-finish area to head back out on the course at night. I really think that's where having a crew can be invaluable. Someone to tap you on the shoulder and whisper in your ear, Time's up. You need to go. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walkable podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walk Double. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.